till you use me up And till you use me up Talking about you people It all depends on what you do It ain't too bad the way you and me Cause I sure am using you to do the things you do window and highly air bubbles in the middle of this mixed up water was driven by the water itself, air and water, air behaving like water and water like air. Fascinating. He felt he was telling her because he was thinking about it and decided this was a point to continue the nonverbal dialogue, which may have saddened her, because she looked down, but into her coffee cup, which explained why. Yes, the bubbles matched the dew on the window, I thought you were going to mention it. Of course I did and that's why we're talking. Would you like to know more? It's all here. And there. And all together you know, as in fashion the cyclical means to travel and like kinds to be recognized and carry packets of data to other like kinds, simul instant like and the like, which is our point since similarities. The pause meant I could continue. The coffee, while just and seemingly fluid, is actual and while it has made friends with the water temporarily, it carries 40 chemical messages for us, and the water, while friends with both coffee and ourselves, is doomed to trick us into drinking it, so that it can escape cleanly from the mess and quite it is, it's gotten into. So you're saying coffee had to trick somebody to get what it wanted, and what it wanted was to be inside of us. Quite definite that we wanted to be near it, and likewise a bean must be like that, fiber for the heart but in this case the opposite, so it tricked us from the start. And we are water, so that's probably where that began. In fact, coffee actually loves water, and grows on the sides of mountains to get the runoff, and that is likely because water is not foolish enough to hang around further that water wouldn't enjoy it, and the trickery would become sad for both, so the agreement is to let the water run through and feed it, then get stuffed and ground up and accelerate water once more, as a little JP payback for the health, and that speeds up everything in a water system including medication and anything which activates, and how does it affect power? Well it must use up the available energy for water travel, and so along with the acid, drains power from the blood. Ever apparent that it is doing the opposite, which is a little joke about what power is, as a provider or as a suck, and coffee sucks and we suck it, and we suck at things out of our control, and we control coffee, or so we think, and thinking is what we like. And damn be the foolish red blood cell that's trying to keep the planet alive, eh? Well, that's put and right away isn't it, and my name is Laura. It's nice to know you like my name, I can see the way you typed it lowercase, and Dan is alright, for now. What she wanted to say she did, and listen as we all did, and the water. Well we can see their cups are 65% full, approximately the same, though Dan sipped a bit more because he was standing, and they were both considering both finishing and simultaneously doing away with coffee, however it is so perfect, in its description that we and they can't help but continue to be fooled and enjoy a cup now and again, and again is now, and the two took their sips. What's happening now is the questioning or perhaps excitement or remembrance of the ease of work which coffee allows us to do. Up. Down. 
sip, swallow, ease. Allowed work in an easy economy which allows us to do so, as in the 1980s, which any like high-rise office environment is very like, a throwback to a place to get out from wherever was on ground, and into the 1950s, and higher and higher without taking drugs, except this pot of coffee, which again, is allowed. And we don't like to answer questions, we like to create solutions, as we're not children, and we spend our money and we likely buy coffee for the home, which in its way is portable corporate environment for our living spaces, and metal and glass too, etc. Dan took out a peanut cookie, shaped like a peanut, and offered it upwards towards Laura, who declined politely because she was six feet away and didn't feel like getting up, and as he dipped it in his coffee, she took out her lunch bag and a bag of grapes, and noshed on one. She could tell he was a little jealous of her grapes and offered him some. Not with the coffee. Or a cookie, confirmed his jealousy with a loud voice and shrunken shoulders. Okay they were already shrunken a bit, but when you notice something for the first time you apply it to what you knew immediately previously. And she was getting frustrated that she didn't have that line and it was unassigned as casual causal thinking on the part of RQ, who was evident now and writing all our bits. You know, of course you do Dan, she got up and sort of said to the sky. That it's 8 a.m. and there's nobody else on the floor, and yet we can carry a conversation as in continuity and likeness and etc. And how do you think that is, without another? She peered around and now found potted plant which was four feet high. It was well watered, and odd that it be so in such a high office. Do you choose these plants? She asked out loud to Dan office plants should need this much water, it stand for the structure. Oh, that's a nice looking plant though. I think we inherited it from another floor that was vacating. All that explains that, a failure produced something which should not be, here. And it is nice, which is why they liked it, and I hope this isn't the plant that made them fail. They both grinned up at one, and at the plant. While, and that the plant observed this by sucking up more water. Greedy thing to do at a time like this, and that perhaps was the problem, the soil didn't want the water, the plant didn't really need it, but enjoyed it so much that they kept watering it, which delighted the plant to the point where it wanted to be moved closer to the dew on the freshly washed skyscraper windows, which it believed also was why the water stuck to glass. To feed friendly and lonely plants on this the 57th floor again which the plant overheard and planned to use in light conversation like the ketchup, was the sound of it supping more water as the two looked on. That plant is going places, you wanna help me move it to the window for some sun? And to visit those droplets of water too? Yes, and to keep everybody aware that plants get what they want around here too, and the plant stopped supping water and let off some oxygen for the gentleman and woman to utilize for its own benefit. And it hummed. They trussled it across the floor, leaving a bit of muck behind, and that was like blood to the plant, and so it missed its spot for now, and was deciding to enjoy what it wanted for an even second and was anxious that it would be out of normal conversational circles, and would the waterer find it, and, well so many questions, here comes the sun, right in the spot that it had wanted and been placed, even so carefully as the tilting it had done was just moved towards the light giving it the option to straight back up, and it did, in its genome and while it was still tilted, it was looking up, 
and the leaves were turning as the stalk was straightening and all felt good, and these are the moments that plants dream of and when a plants dream, we utilize the water that we sucked, into material wealth for the transdisposition of carbon dioxide into oxygen, and etc. Well Laura, this is our morning. I'm going to walk over there and post what's on my phone which are the events of before and later to be known and we, the company, are hoping you'll stay, and you can set up anywhere you'd like, and the whiteboards are in a big office across, over, there, he pointed to a big glass room. And you can draw all you'd like, when you like, and the usual whiteboard rules apply, and I'm keen to see what you do draw, and with that I'm off. And the two smiled and the one, then others sipped their coffee and each felt the day had become, as trickery or not, fun was the reasoning they put themselves in situations, and this situation was well and fine. She thought of the water again, and wondered just a bit about how water might be the tricky one to start, and or are humans the tricky ones to employ water as a means of communication. Well Q imagined for her, that men are electric and women are fluid, and the vices and verses of man as machine and mother earth are, well, Man gets water out of the air, and through osmosis and skin is a particular and strange lengthy organ of perhaps string, in theory anyway. Should he tell her about fingerprints? As in the record player, audible to the organ, which plays for the water piped and admired, how else were we to be known, thought the skin, as there is so many ways, but our hands are where it begins and ends, see the print. You're looking now, and I'm not because I know the pattern, and it's in our burrows, and that is your clue for the early morning. Carry on gents, and madam. As is the usual collation of sexes at a cocktail party such as this, and on the hinds floor, do stop by the plant once more for a conversation or several lifetimes of shredded jetted vibrational velocity for the chloroplasts to saunter in. This is Radio 11 and you have been smattered by the variant legendary as in the boxy thing on the bottom of maps, Aqua. Q. Howdy folks, welcome home and welcome to another episode of Always Free Radio. This is Finch bringing you the radio show and podcast that's available every Tuesday, 4 to 6 p.m. San Francisco time, that's Pacific time in the United States. Uh, You can listen to it live at mutinyradio.fm. Also, you can listen to this episode and all past episodes after they've been archived by searching wherever you get your podcasts for the word always free a-l-l-w-a-y-s-f-r-e-e all one word and you can listen to something like 60 back episodes over the last year and a half this radio show and podcast is by for and about people that love rainbow gatherings and attending them and participating in them Like everything else in Rainbow, we are a free and non-commercial project, and you are welcome to contribute anything that you would like to this show. We are always soliciting writings, editorials, songs, or you can even just call into the station and have a conversation with us on air or off air to be recorded and published later. Uh, If you're interested in contributing to the show, you can contact me at Facebook under my name, Adam Finch Buxbaum, 
spelled B-U-X-B-A-U-M. Or you can contact our co-host, Rachel Pinson, R-A-C-H-E-L space P-I-N-S-O-N. And just let us know what you'd like to contribute, and we can make sure that your piece of creativity or rainbow opinion uh, gets put on air for all dozen or so of our listeners. This week we will be bringing you more Sounds of the Rainbow uh, from the Pennsylvania Prism Gathering that just happened at the beginning of July. Uh, these come from the archive of field recordings that Tenali has recorded. Uh, he also has a website where you can listen to his field recordings for the last couple of decades dating back to about the year 2000, as well as a link to download all 10-something gigabytes of his archive. Uh, you can visit Tenali's website and all of his field recordings at Sounds from the Rainbow and if you would like to check out his podcast, which also has lots of rainbow field recordings as well as other soundscapes and cool pieces of creativity, you can search for Muddy Boots wherever you get your podcasts. We will also be bringing you one, uh, one article about the rainbow gathering that happened last month in Spain, in La Rioja. Uh, we fairly extensively covered this in the prior weeks, but this article was just republished on August 1st or 2nd, and bears airing as well, because we didn't get to it the first time around. So, enjoy the field recordings, enjoy the article, enjoy your evening, and we love you.
I heard an inter interesting conversation in New York the other day. Uh, the first person was like, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, I lost my cockies. And the second person was like, uh, you're wearing your cockies. And the, uh, <clears throat> no, no, I, my khakis. And uh, um, uh, I'm walking here. And, and, and then the first person's like, Oh, what about the prophecy? And and the the and, and then uh, uh, oh, the prophecy! It has been foretold uh, many millennia ago that today, maybe tomorrow or next week, uh, on a on a clear sky day, the clouds will come together, and and the great white tiny mouse will squeak squeak. And it will be good. <laughs> uh, there's uh, there's four phrase boy. Um, the first phrase is uh, uh, I'm hitchhiking. Um, the second phrase is uh, my friend died. Uh, the third one is Do you have a dollar? <laughs> and uh, the and the fourth one is space bag. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, there's um, there's plenty of uh, cool ways to to protest. Um, uh, or, or okay, no wait, that's later in this joke, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I I I even forgot how I started the jo joke, but. <laughs> uh, if if I uh, if you or if someone I've heard of someone uh, going into someone's house with like uh, a, a poison ivy, and uh, they they literally put it. I, I forget how it led up to this, but like they put it all in each of their clothes, their shirt and and, and their pants. And each pair, and so whenever they went, whenever they got poison ivy, they they you know they were like, oh, I I'm getting poison ivy all over me. I need to go see the doctor, and they would get treated. But then they they would come home, and they would they would put on a new clothes, right? That's that's horrible. That they would get more poison ivy. I forgot how I was gonna follow that up, but another, a couple other crazy things you could do is um, uh, uh, you can go into a a, a wall a world or a major grocery chain or something. Uh, with a backpack full of uh, cement mix into the bathroom, and you can just start fl flushing uh, powdered concrete, and it will just ruin the entire system. It'll just solidify in the entire system. Yeah, emphasis. <laughs> and. Um, or, or you can have a backpack with a, a big magnet in it, and you can walk by all the TVs and electronics, 
<laughs> and that'll just that'll mess with that up, but and uh and uh, uh um and, and but it's it, it it's really important to uh I really forget how I was supposed to lead up to telling you to treat to treat each other better. I I, I had a lead up to that but uh, yeah. I do not expect to last that long. <laughs> a story about Minnie the Moocha. She was a low-down hoochie-coochie. She was the roughest, toughest gal. But Minnie had a heart as big as a well. tonight for a show that I hope will be quite out of sight and quite out of mind because that's where we'll find some important things we may have left behind. Please look around, you'll see quite clearly all the parts of life that we hold so dearly. But it's not just what you see that you get, there's a lot going on that we don't know about yet. Why don't you take for example, the scene around me people in a circle it seems to remind me of a story often told yet seldom heard 
A story of someone who tried to say a word But no one was listening so no one could hear The word just floated off into the air Flew up and up, landed on a cloud There it waited, waited, never called out loud Now that word's still waiting right there today For someone to listen, for somebody to say Let me hear that word Though I may not believe it but I'm gonna give it a chance to perceive it So we never found out if the word was true Is it true for me? Could it be true for you? If it's true for one, must it be true for all? I guess we'll find out when spirit calls But back to the scene which you may recognize A group of different people all leading our lives We're not birds of a feather but we flock together We all need a tarp to keep out the weather We share working chores cause we're mostly poor We can't hire a maid or butler to open the doors But we put our dough together So when we make bread Everybody in the house gets equally fed We call it a rainbow For lack of better name Anyone can join We're all treated the same Cause the house is equal opportunity No matter age, sex, color, gender sexuality i'll say one last thing before we get out the things we can never know about so before you judge what's in front of you just remember that there's more than one point of view now it's finally time that we're gonna get started i'll remind you all stay open hearted and keep an open mind that's where we'll find some important things we may have left behind my name is Hallie, and I'm going to tell you a story about a butterfly collector named Chang, whoa, who lived far ago and long away from now and here. North Dakota, huh? <laughs> In the area where Chang lived, it was vibrant and green and full of animals and sunshine and rain. <clears throat> and the butterflies flourished. And it was a very in thing to give butterflies as presents. And there was something for everyone. Even the simplest, smallest butterfly could be caught and pinned to paper or pressed between a thin layer of glass. And even the poorest young man could give the gift of a butterfly to his sweetheart. <coughs> but there was such variety, there was such diversity in all life, but especially the butterflies. And there were these enormous, super crazy, colorful, complicated, intricate designed butterflies that the wealthiest families would purchase. And they'd keep for generations on their walls with pride for everyone to admire. And Chang was one of the best butterfly collectors, not just because he was skilled, but most of all, because he loved to do it. <clears throat> when he was running through the meadows, chasing after these prancing magical creatures fluttering on the breeze. He was filled with such a joy, he couldn't believe that this was his daily work. And he would run after the butterflies. He got so much out of the chase, out of seeing them, out of watching them land on flowers and drink of the nectar. He loved what he did. And at the end of every work day, he would go home to his family, 
<clears throat> he would go into the shop, he'd pin his butterflies for, for the, from the day, and then he'd go have dinner with his family and lay himself down to sleep. And as rich and colorful and exciting <clears throat> as his days were, his nights were dark, empty, dreamless sleep. And from time to time, he'd be with his friends and they would be talking about their dreams. You wouldn't believe what I dreamed last night. And Chang would always nod and wonder. He had never dreamt. He had never remembered a dream. What is it like to dream? So one day, Chang is running through a place called Happiest Meadow the most magnificent of all places. And he's the only human, but he's surrounded by all sorts of species of all sorts of creatures. And he's chasing this butterfly and chasing that butterfly. And it's a good day. He's catching lots of wonderful butterflies. And he's taking a rest at one moment. And all of a sudden, the most incredible, magnificent butterfly, not only that he's ever seen in his life, but that he ever even imagined existed, landed on a blade of grass in front of him. This butterfly was all the colors of the rainbow, but mostly like this purple and gold filtered in with all the other colors. And it was in this pattern of two eyes. And so it looked like every time the butterfly opened and closed its wings, it was like it was blinking at him. And it was enormous. And it took his breath away. He couldn't believe it. And he sat there, watching it for a moment. And then he got himself together and remembered, I'm a butterfly collector, and this is the prize of my entire lifelong career. So slowly, he reached back to get his most, his finest net and slowly pulled it out and the butterfly just sat there winking and blinking at him on the blade of grass and he pulled the net out and shoop! What do you think? Of course he missed. The butterfly took off and Shang took off after him and they ran across the meadow. And Chang knew this, of course, I couldn't catch the most magnificent queen of butterflies that easily. And he loved it. It was the most joyful chase ever. The sun was shining and the birds were chirping and all sorts of species were scurrying everywhere. It was a magical day as he went chasing after this queen of butterflies through the meadow. The first joyful, exciting hour turned into a second, a little more exhausting hour. And four hours later, Chang was wiped. He had been chasing after this butterfly. He was sweaty. He was tired. And he was obsessed. He had to have this butterfly. He could think of nothing else. This is the prize of the career. I'm going to, I'll sell it to the king himself. This is the most amazing butterfly. And he's like losing touch with himself. He's so hell bent on catching this butterfly. And so he's chasing it here and chasing it there, and all of a sudden he's running blindly, he doesn't even see where he's going, and he's all of a sudden buried up to his ankles and his calves and his knees in mud, and he watches the butterfly 
fly gently on the breeze across the pond and land on a lotus flower in the middle. And Chang stands there sinking in the mud and decides what is his life worth without this butterfly. And so he plunges into the pond, swimming with one arm and holding his net up in the other and makes his way across the pond. And he's, he's like, he's lost it. He's lost his, his joyful sense of what he is about here. And he, he has to have this butterfly. And so as he gets closer, he, he's like, he's, he's all, he's losing his breath and he's, he's crazy with the pursuit and with the hunt. And as he gets closer, he calms himself down and reaches up and whoom! And of course, again, he misses and the butterfly takes off and flies away and Chang sinks down and is covered in lotus flower roots and he's got a snail on his head and his net is getting ripped and... Ugh, he's got water and grass up his nose and finally drags himself out of the pond and up on shore and there's a fish in his pocket and a frog on his shoulder and he's all tangled in weeds and grasses and he's all muddy and just ugh. and he delivers the fish back to the water and the frog back to the mud and he turns and there's the butterfly up in a branch, winking and blinking at him. And he takes off his soaking wet robe and lays it out in the sun and collapses on the ground. Oh, butterfly, you elude me. Don't you understand? I could have saved you from the fate of being eaten by a bird or just dying and rotting in the, in the field. I could have preserved you forever. You could have hung on the walls of the emperor's palace. <sighs> and slowly the sun dappling through the leaves and the breeze and the exhaustion and Chang's eyes become heavy watching those gorgeous, enormous wings wink and blink at him. And he falls asleep. Who knows how long he sleeps into the dark, dreamless depths. And then he has that feeling of waking and he sees the light and he goes to stretch as is his custom upon waking as most of us do, but he's stuck. He can't, he can't move. He's stuck and it's, he's trying to open his eyes, but it's, it's dark with like a crack of light and he's what's I'm trapped am I am I asleep and he takes a deep breath and pushes and the crack of light gets a little bit bigger and he takes another deep breath and stretches and the crack of light gets a little bit bigger and then he takes another deep breath and and he breaks free and he can feel he can feel his movement <laughs> But something's weird. Something doesn't feel right. And he goes to turn, and then he sees this gorgeous gold, huge gold leaf behind him. And he can't, what tree grows this kind of leaf? And he goes to look over his other shoulder, and there's one over his other shoulder too, but every time he goes to turn, he can't quite see it. And he goes to wipe his brow, but it's not his hand. It's like a, 
a thread. Something is very not right. And he looks over and there's a huge white flower over him. And he looks down and he's high up off the ground and he starts to freak out and he loses his balance and his tapples and he's falling through the air and he shivers in fear and suddenly he's suspended in air for a moment. <gasps> and then he stops and starts plunging again and he's in his fear he shivers again and he's in midair for a second and then he starts plunging again and this time he knows what he's doing and he with all of his might and all of his being he shivers and he's flying he's a butterfly and he takes off across the meadow and watches his brethren butterflies landing on the flowers and drinking of the nectar and he flies and rides the breeze and tries it himself and lands on a flower petal and watches his his friends and he does the same he crawls down into the center of the flower and the smell is so incredible and he drinks of the nectar and he crawls back out drunk with joy and then takes off and dances with the breeze under the sunlight over the flowers with the butterflies and the dragonflies and the birds flying everywhere and he lives the long and instant life of a butterfly. Just, just let's give a quick. We we love you, for the for the sister that's being taken out. Dina. Thank you. Dina. One more time. One, two, three. We. Butterflies. The lifetime, the short and eternal lifetime of a butterfly. I mean, let's all just imagine it for a moment, what it's like to be an incredibly joyful, purely ecstatic butterfly floating on the breeze, dancing with your sister and brother butterflies in the happiest meadow. He's lost complete connection with his life as a human. He is a butterfly. And as he's taking one joyful turn and another, all of a sudden, <gasps> he feels these, these threads and nets and he's caught. And a huge voice says, for the king. And a huge hand reaches down and grabs him and thumps him into a box. And he sees his last glimpse of happiest meadow and sunshine as the lid to the box is closed. And darkness descends upon him again into his dark, dreamless sleep for an instant, for an eternity, until he wakes. And he dares not move. Am I a human or a butterfly? <laughs> and finally he stretches his human form and runs down to the pond just to be sure and sees his human reflection in the pond and looks up, and there is that queen of butterflies winking and blinking at him. 
And he falls to his knees and says, Oh, master, I shall become a maker of pots. <laughs> and for the rest of his life, he loves the butterflies, he appreciates the, but appreciates the butterflies, he runs through the meadows with them, but he never catches another one. But he paints the most exquisite pictures of butterflies <laughs> on his most incredible pottery collection, which he sells to the poorest and the wealthiest of his land. Was he a man who dreamt he was a butterfly? <clears throat> or a butterfly who dreamt he was a man? Whoever knows the answer to this question does indeed dwell in happiest meadow. Thank you. Uh, I'm real excited. I've got like three public service announcements. I hope I can remember what they are. Uh, first one, the shitters. <laughs> does, uh, the sh does everyone know where the shitters are? Yeah. Yeah. Well, some people may, some will not. But uh, let's see where we are now. I'm a little disoriented, but uh, which, someone point to Space Camp from here. There, there's the Lovin' Ovens, Space right? Space Camp's right Space over camp. there. Space Camp's right over there? Okay, yeah. cool. So you just go down the trail towards Main Meadow, and on your left there's a path, and then you go to the shitter. We actually could use some signs that will uh, say the following. What you do is you... you uh, you know, actually, it's, some people say you should wash your hands before you go to the shitter because you're going to touch the toilet paper and whatnot. But you basically uh, squat, shit, you cover it with the, the lime. We actually have lime up there. What that does, that actually breaks it down. I could explain the science if you want to later, but uh, we need to put the lime in there so it breaks down because it's not in the top six inches of the uh, organic layer. Then you uh, sprinkle the uh, over your shit and the toilet paper, and if some family didn't hear about that and they just like shat in there, you sprinkle lime over theirs too. Or yeah. you know, there's a limited yeah. amount of lime, and so then you uh, uh, then you wash your hands, yeah. and then if there's a lime, toilet paper, or a hand wash missing, you go like wherever you need to go, like this kitchen or that kitchen, to get what you need to have the uh, to restock the shitter. This only works because we're all volunteering to do this and we all need help to do this. So please help and uh, help us do this. So that's the shitters. Uh, make sure you do shit in the shitters uh, because otherwise it's not very sanitary. We want to break the shit fly food connection. That's why we cover it with lime to not only help break it down but to keep the flies off of it. And if you see flies on there, give it an extra dose of lime. Oh, yes. And maybe help just, just oh, refill yes. the lime anyway. We got bags of it yes. uh, at Main Supply. El Mundo Chronicle. What time is the orgy? Overbooking of onlookers, paparazzi, and hikers willing to catch chub when the free sex and without masks of the Rainbow family installed in Mancia de la Sierra transcended. We uncover the latest neo-hippie scam on Mother Nature. 300 euro slippers, laptops, trip to the cafeteria, and more war than love under the Quechua monopoly. By Ricardo F. Colmenero. Originally published June 14th, 2021. Republished August 3rd, 2021. Not that we were animals in a zoo, complains Iris, pointing to a paparazzi on a hill on the other side of the Portillo River. Iris does not like the media, or multinationals, or waxing, or underwear. 
Here, she yells at the photographer, lifting her skirt, then asks me if I'm staying the night and offers me her jacket. The civil guard arrived first, three times, one with riot gear, another with the helicopter, then came the foreign agents, and then those of social affairs of the government of La Rioja to see if there were malnourished children or witnessing sexual scenes, or if the children ate while witnessing sexual scenes. The shepherds of the seven villages, Telecinco, photographers from international agencies, curious hikers, and hikers who came to see if they caught chub, also passed there. Had the Rainbow Family meeting lasted one more week, a Mercedona would have opened in Mancia de la Sierra. As apparently no one is in charge here because the hierarchy is horizontal, Carls, a Catalan computer scientist dressed as a gnome and who claims to have left everything to build wooden things, stands upright. We have had a lot of problems because of what the press published about orgies. For example, I ask, lots of peepers and a dirty old man who was bothering the girls. And how did you throw it away? We are on that. The closest thing to civilization and to mobile coverage is Venta de Goyo, a 22-room hostel served by Juan Carr, and a cafeteria next to two gas pumps overlooking the river that his cousin serves. And why do you write about the nudists and not about what they want to take away, the doctor, from us, the cousin complains. From there, to get to the rainbow, you have to drive four kilometers by road and then another six along a dirt track that surrounds the Mancia Reservoir. When you start to see cars, mostly vans with license plates from France, Germany, the United Kingdom, or the Czech Republic, you have to continue on foot. A couple hours guided by a riverbed and arrows made with sticks that only confirm how difficult it is for the rainbow family and anyone to be left alone in the 21st century. Three Bosques in their 50s are about to join, Mikkel, Raquel, and a woman who has changed her name to a Hindu dance. In the opposite direction from the camp, Hota appears. Do you know the rules, he asks? The first is not to eat meat. The girl with the Hindu dance name says that she is wearing some flour for the magic hat, that is, to share. The second and third, no alcohol and drugs, a rule that would make any Woodstock survivor convulse, according to Wikipedia, the origin of the Rainbow Family. The fourth, no technology. Only that of the Hindu dance has participated in another rainbow in India 20 years ago and has not returned because she does not know how to find out. Following the anti-technology guideline, the instructions to get there were written down in pen and with colored drawing of the place. It's all word of mouth, says Hota, although later she ends up acknowledging a mailing is also made. Goyo's cousin from Venta had already warned us that every day several of them ha take a break from the rainbow and have breakfast in the cafeteria with their laptop and a sandwich of fried eggs with peppers. Mikel is the first to meet Jorge, the cowherd, a limousine breed. There is also another shepherd with sheep and another with horses whom Jorge points to different hills. What time is the orgy? Mikel asks him, getting sick of it. Jorge snorts, I wish they would stay forever. Why? To have someone to talk to. Along the way, the woman with the name of a Hindu dance talks about Miguel Bosé and informs me about the possibility of absorbing energy, spiritually detoxifying, and cleaning the path of chi by carrying stone eggs in her vagina.
One knows that it has arrived because naked men begin to appear along the shore. A Cuban and his partner, decorated with a multitude of beads, looks like the welcoming committee. They smile and give long hugs as if they had given us up for dead, and they invite us to continue toward a valley dominated by the sacred fire. One quickly realizes that marijuana prohibition must have been abolished somewhere along the way. Rather than smoking it, some appear to have been smoked or coated in it. There are couples lying on the grass embracing, guys walking on hands and doing cartwheels. The girl with the Hindu dance name is served coffee in a soup bowl. Apparently everyone has their own for everything that is ingested, but it is impersonal and transferable. What in Ibiza would be a normal and ordinary summer day in Beniras or Agues Blancas in the middle of La Rioja, it seems like a cannibal tribe or a lost civilization or a break from the recording of Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. After identifying ourselves as journalists, a group surrounds us and accuses us of what others have published. For a second, we appreciate the ban on eating meat. An Italian with light eyes and 300 euro sandals accuses me of being in the service of elites and multinationals. At first glance, the only one that is tolerated is Huechua. It sprinkles all over the camp like colored igloos. As they resolve crises by setting up circles, they invite us to one in which they will decide whether to let us take photos or eat us. I propose. A stick which is shaped like a micro decides the turn to speak. I skip it because a strabismus boy, dressed in boots and a sweatshirt under which his genitals protrude, begins to tell me about the raid by the civil guard which ended with almost a hundred denounced for camping and firing and the arrest of a knife that was in the kitchen and a bottle of Viagra that was in a store. Apparently, a circle had to be made to talk about erectile dysfunction, and the one with Viagra said that he neither used it nor remembered why he had it there. But Iris, for example, doesn't believe it. Then they go to a second larger circle prior to the meal, as if they blessed it, in which they sing, holding hands, several songs in different languages that sound like versions of the chorus of Love, Love by Lolita. They also dance and pray to the Pachamama, and they end with a long mantra, Om, which resounds through the valley. It's hot, and about a quarter of the circle is wearing no clothes, and the rest are hooded robes or sarongs. As soon as they tell me and the photographer where to drink and where not to piss, we feel integrated. They invite us to lunch, but we decline the offer. Here everything is natural and ecological, they explain. A deaf mute brings us a metal plate, and we are going to wash it in the area indicated. On the way back, I sit next to Mano, a French musician with dreadlocks in his hair and beard and a moon tattooed on one knee, among many other drawings. He became famous in the press for a photo in Ibiza sleeping with a friend on the roof of the van. Next to him is his girlfriend, or something like that. You come to a rainbow and you may or may not have a connection with someone, explains Mano. The girl identifies as a therapist. I teach to breathe, she adds to cover my silence. A little further on, a person from Gipuzkoa said that it took him three days to hitchhike to reach the rainbow. At some point, I raise my head and a naked man appears before me with his legs spread who seems to be about to use a black tub as a toilet. But instead, he shoves a spoon into the tub that I hadn't seen before and extracts chunks of apricot watermelon and orange, which he places on my plate. I smile, he smiles at me, and I eat it. Mano has done a lot of rainbows. He likes it because it allows us to appreciate the very simple, very simple things. Food, nature, he emphasizes by putting his hand in the grass. And the rest of the time, sometimes there are workshops, yoga, meditation, or learning to play an instrument. 
Some people take turns getting up and talking. If people agree with what he says, they yell, Aho, which is what a Sioux would say. A girl with an umbrella of Tibetan prayers starts to tell something, but soon starts crying. Another hugs her from behind to calm her down, and another circle is proposed, smaller, called the heart, so each one can express their feelings. Previously, another one had been proposed to talk about the old green. Some of those who get up speak in English and are translated into Spanish in an inclusive language or exclusively female, depending on who is listening. Another of those who gets up tells that he wants to build a temescal, a kind of sauna with wood, blankets, and hot stones to which water is poured. And then another to explain what the runes had told him, some stones of Viking origin with sacred symbols that serve to speak with a divinity. Apparently, the runes had commissioned a lot of missions once they left the rainbow, which were between beatitudes and coaching. Some get bored. Raquel kisses with the boy who touched her next to her. Soon a group gets up, they start playing instruments, singing and dancing while passing the magic hat in which people leave euros. If you don't have one, they don't leave until you kiss your fingertips and pretend to kiss. Soon I am leaving with another group and I meet Alberto, a man from Madrid who writes poems and draws women with three breasts and multiple heads. He says he came because he needed to relax after the latest cryptocurrency crash. Angie is German. She is 23 years old and goes around the world with her dog, a big black one named Radha, as the consort of the Hindu god Krishna. She agrees to be photographed even though she asks for money at first. And that philosophy here is bartering so as not to fall into monetary tyranny. This is her first rainbow. It's like my family, she says. Anji takes a long time to answer each question as if she had to wait for the translator for the earpiece. Then she writes me her email with a heart in the notebook. A father and son appear on horseback and attract the attention of the group as a kind of arrival of Columbus to the Indies. The Cuban's partner reports that a horse has a wounded leg and asks loudly if anyone knows about healing herbs. But the one with the horse says not to do anything, although then they stand there for several hours looking at the girls. David says he's an engineer, and that he left it to travel the world and grow tomatoes. Ask the photographer to take a barefoot riding one of the horses. They let him get on, but the horse starts to run, and after a few meters, he falls. On the second try, the mess sets in. Five girls, some dressed, sprint 400 meters toward the photographer. He tells them that he is not taking pictures of them, but of David. But they respond that the camera has cut off their power, with the anger of someone who has lost a Word document of 200 pages. I think about reminding them that one of them has an electric guitar tuner, but I pass. A young man covered in marijuana also runs towards the photographer, and another with a tattoo on his belly of the pirouette of a paper plane. They assume the patriarchal defense of this organization created to promote world peace from meditation in remote places. First, they yell at the photographer, then they push him, then they shake him, then they try to steal his camera, which they propose to throw into the river, and finally they force him to delete all the photos. In the middle of the mess, a mother with a three-year-old child appears, crying, apparently because she does not know how to explain to her son what is happening. And finally, Carles, the vertical computer scientist, appears to apologize. And in an aside, it says the photos can be recovered and offers to do so. He also says that those who have attacked the photographer will apologize and that what has happened is because of the new moon. They beg us to stay for the night, but we refuse. Farewell. We receive more long, naked hugs, and we appreciate the historic opportunity to have enjoyed 10 hours of no coverage. As they leave the camp, about 10 women form a circle holding hands and participate in what appears to be a shouting workshop.
superstitious So I mock people's religions And I base most my decisions Off something that's probably fake And yes, I can admit that I'm a contradictive dingbat These things that I believe in They keep me sane for insanity's sake Well, I tell myself that everything Like all the shit that my life can bring And all the things that fucking piss me off They all happen for a reason Like when I got put on the books Got caught for the things I took For the terrible feeling I get each year at the turning of the season I know that my outlook on being, well, it's just as strange as claiming seeing Jesus Christ transforming water into Chardonnay. But I just like to keep on thinking, whoa, all the shit that keeps my life stinking. Well, it also keeps me making those irrational decisions that make me fade away. It's working. I'm alive. I couldn't care to who mom compared. This is how I survive. Things are much better now that I'm alive. So I couldn't care to who mom compared because I'm alive. Oh, I'm alive. And I'm free. All these hateful assholes, no creativity. Just be yourself and fuck everyone else. Except the ones who love you for being yourself And they couldn't care less about anything else They love you good and they always will There's nothing that you could ever spill To them that would make them love you any less Even if you stink, got no job and you're penniless Because if you've got friends like that with your fucking blessed So hold on to them tight Yeah, hold on to them tight Yeah, hold on to them tight and do your best uh, so this gathering, uh, you know, however things get scheduled or whatever reality is, ends on the 4th of July. And on the 4th of July, you know what we do is we, you know, as soon as uh, morning light, we don't talk. We're just quiet. We listen. And until we all gather in the meadow in a big circle, sometimes there's a kid's parade that comes through to uh, uh, let us know when it's time to... Uh, stop uh, basically we just ohm and we pray for peace now some people say oh yeah that's what i go for the fourth and the prayer for peace in my view this is all a prayer for peace we are trying to make peace everything we do when you help your family like who needs some help getting out of here uh which is why i gotta get back to the point which is it ends on the fourth even though these usually kind of end on the seventh maybe if we can all pretend that it is to the seventh but Stay for cleanup for five, six, and seven. Everybody stay for cleanup. We can get out of here by the seventh at hippie noon. Now, if, if, that's just that's just a dream. Uh, the, so anyway, that the third the third uh, uh, public great. right exactly. Please help because it's only great if you're here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yes, cleanup starts when you get here, uh, and uh, so but we still need help disappear in this place and what you can do to start is your own tent space 
try to fluff up the, the, the plants there. Maybe if you can aerate the soil by, with, you know, if you got a rake or if you got a uh, shovel, just put some air in the soil so the, uh, the, the seed bank that's already here can just reseed. We talked to the uh, rangers, they don't want to, us to add any seeds. They just want to use the bank that's here, cover it with duff. Try to disappear your site. There's no magic cleanup crew that just comes after us. We are the cleanup crew. Look at your campsite before you leave and say, oh, is that how I want that to be forever? Because that's how it's going to be unless you put it on some other family. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here. But we it's hard being on cleanup crew. It's hard. I love cleanup. Then, then let's all do it together. Five, six, seven, the whole family doing cleanup. That's my dream. But always seem to write about you. Yeah, it's the only thing that maybe you're not worthy the other top filled verses and these catchy tunes. Yeah, every time I get my hopes up, that you finally seen that line at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you seem to disappear, disappear out of sight. Like a pack of coyotes running from a gunshot. The man who jumped the prison wall never got caught. All the wasted dollars dropped in them slots. Yeah, you disappear out of sight. Like a pack of coyotes running from a gunshot. The man who dropped the prison wall never got caught. All the wasted dollars dropped in the slots. Yeah, you disappear out of sight. You're the ghost I see when the lights come out when I'm laying in bed. You're the monster crawling through my veins and into my head. You're the disappearing boy all over them flies downtown. Like Billie Jean again from that I'll stick around. Oh, when you come around, you come around when you come around. Well, you have nice lures in the tackle box top your head. And you always seem to catch me up whether I'm hungry or faint. Like a wolf atop the mountain howling down. And the shiver in my spine every time But you know where to be found Like the kids took the pigs in the turn around Mom pop shops out once downtown Like a wild dog that escaped from the pound Yeah, you know where to be found Like the kids took the pigs in the turn around Now the mom pop shops out once downtown Woo! Got a breath Crawling through my veins and into my head. You're the disappearing boy all over them flies in town. Like Billy Jean again, from and I'll stick around. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, you just a picture in my brain. Like a Polaroid, I keep waiting and waiting for you to show up into my frame. Why must you linger on like a phantom limb? Well, I've gone little loony out here in the boonies, but I'll keep seeing. Yeah, all I keep seeing is a devil's grin. Well, you 
I'm an angel when my life gets rough And you are the devil cause I'm never enough And you are the goddess who forgives my sins And you are the drugs Inside that needle, inside my vein Pump through my brain You're my heroine gathers nicely like a hot glue icy on my Pisces an intangible delicious that cannot be tasted face it for another sense that will not waste it and it makes sense to embrace it cause there's no time for disgust when it's a quarter past lust half a mile from bust and so deep in the delta you're practically in the Nile so fast on the fuse might as well be in denial but you know it like a stoner, you grow it. Like a stone, you throw it. And almost stoned, I blow it. Not the first thing blown, grown, or stoned today. We've been naked and achy since dusk, moaning and groaning since dawn. And we'd be in a musky lawn if we could do it in public. We'd probably get published. Hell, we'd even do it in rubbish, because we're dirty, flirty, and nerdy. Like a birdie or a dove? Speaking of, I gotta go, so peace and love. Alright guys, uh, freestyle poetry. I take words from the audience and I try to weave them into something. So I need four words from four people. Three. Give me one. Love. Love. Rainbow. Rainbow. Three. Trip and three. Rattlesnake. No, that's too many words. Green. Love, rainbow, trip, three, rattlesnake. Yes. Uh, come to the woods, it's camping, she said, and I thought, hey, why not? Of course, she conveniently forgot to tell me, uh, there are no bathrooms or showers. <laughs> if I knew that I'd be walking around for days and hours bathed in my own sweat, I'd tell her, uh, forget about it, not happening, because... I'm a city girl, sort of. And then when I was on the WhatsApp chat and I read that there are rattlesnakes, I turned to her with anger in my eyes and said, oh, give me a break. Why can't you just be honest with me for like once? I'm not even wearing the proper shoes. She said, dude, it's all right. We'll go to Walmart and find something for you to wear. Next thing I know, I'm standing downhill, bare toes in the mud, thinking, God, I hope I make it out alive. I guess right. A day later, I find myself in a kitchen watching as my OCD self is trying not to organize the spices on the shelf, trying not to cringe as I watch a piece of wood stuck in a pot used as a ladle. Honestly, if I were an infant in the cradle, I would be screaming in agony. But hey, it's rainbow, and with all the love you see and all the humanity and all the unity, sometimes you need to try to take a step back. Not to control the chaos, 
not to think twice. Definitely not to think about ticks or lice. <laughs> Try not to think, I can't do this, I'm a quitter, the second they hand you a shovel and say, hey, make your way to the shit. <laughs> uh... At night when it started to rain, I couldn't explain to myself why I was torn between desperately wanting to flee and trying to stay put, trying to find within myself a strength I never knew that I could have, and thinking to myself, hey, this isn't so bad. I didn't know I had it in me to stay alone in a tent in the dark. But the thing about places like Rainbow is that you discover more about yourself than you knew you could. You discover that you do things you never thought you could or should or would want to do. The thing I found in this gathering is that it doesn't matter your belonging, whether you're Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, or Jew, it doesn't matter where you come from or where you're heading to. All that matters is that you want to give and to love, whether you're coming from up, down, side, left, right, up, above. The moment they extend a hand and say, hey, you're here to learn, we're here to teach, and they show you, they show you a path, they give you a guide, all you got to do is close your eyes, take a breath, look deep inside, and find that you can do it, even if you thought you could not. That maybe there are some things you left behind that you thought you forgot, but maybe if you look, you'll find that there's a deep strength that exists inside. I came upon a child of God. He was walking along the road. And I asked him, Said I'm going on down to Yasker's farm. Gonna join in a rock and roll band. I'm gonna camp out on the land. Gonna try and get my soul free. We have stardust. We
It's happening. It's happening. Oh, good evening. First of all, you guys, thank you so much for letting me practice. Oh my God, it's been like a year, so uh, don't don't expect much, but but this is a golden opportunity for me, and I'm so grateful. Um, also, I used up all my short jokes the other night, so let's let's just get into it. Uh, my name's Gladys. I did move to New England for the winter time. Uh, I know that's kind of unusual. I know a lot of people up here don't appreciate it. I hear I hear them all the time. They fantasize about moving to Florida or Arizona or California, and they don't even know. I, I mean, I, I can tell what they're thinking. They're like, oh, I'm going to wear flip-flops all the time. I can lick a metal pole all year round. Uh, I'm going to wear a straw hat like in the Jason Mraz videos. But, man, it's it that kind of thing can turn out with the darkness. Because, okay, basically, when we don't share an objective reality that is the weather can kill you for half the year, hippies start thinking all the ideas in their head are right. It's terrifying. Just any idea that pops into their stupid little dreadlock head could be correct. You know, stuff like vaccines cause autism. I should wear a more whimsical hat. Uh, you know what I should do? Start a start a chapstick company with weed in it. That's what I should do with my entire life. Basically, I'm saying that you need the harsh winter time to press your hippies down. Man, you get out there, it starts getting kind of spooky. I mean, up in Vermont, it's great. Even our rednecks, like, you know, your eighth generation Vermonter, they're they're pretty they're pretty good. A, they've been to another country. They've been to Canada. B, you know, they just got that out of the gene pool a long time ago. If you couldn't hang out at a party 300 years ago, you had to go outside. And it's negative 30, and that's that's the end of you. You know, out west, somebody can't behave. They go outside. They're just outside. Right outside. Like, right fogging up the windows. Right out there. You'd be like, oh, people don't know so much. I'm just going to walk out of this party and sleep underneath the manzanita tree. <laughs> so I, I moved to New England from the deep south. Um, south, it's, it's been in the news lately for rising again. And, you know, we had a lot of problems out there growing up. I mean, I'll get into it, you know, crystal meth, it, it ravages communities and people are always so down on meth heads, but you know, there's some upsides. There's some upsides. For one thing, meth heads, man, they'll make you super nostalgic for crackheads <laughs> and how and how they just want more crack and you can predict all their actions based on that the thing with meth is oh man it makes you super crazy it costs almost nothing like you can do three days a week at Burger King and pay for your meth habit so what you have what you have is a lot of crazy people walking around very quickly obviously a lot of time on their hands to work on their bespoke insanities <laughs> It'll be stories like, oh, my, my neighbor's stealing my spark plugs. But, you know, it's so we can build a time machine so we can go back in time and break Avril Lavigne's nose. And somehow that's going to end the designated hitter rule. So, yes, yeah, for a good cause. I'm not mad. Or, like, you'll be in an alley and some dude will come up and you think he's going to rob you or whatever. But he just wants you to sign a contract he made about not taking your shoelaces for granted. So, that's fine. That's fun. Uh, I had two kids recently, or so they tell me. Um, I know that shit's been hard, because I didn't even have that thing in high school where they give you like a fake baby 
<laughs> that you can take care of? Did it happen at anybody's high school? Yeah. In real life? Did, what, what kind of baby was it? It was a sack, sack of flour. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I thought because they had, I thought it was going to be an egg, like in Saved by the Bell. Because now they have the mechanic. A sack of flour? <laughs> That's not realistic at all. You can't. You can take a baby to a fish fry. Like, a sack of flour. Watch out. Man, weird. No, I mean, the whole point of that assignment is they wanted you to fail, right? They want you to have the baby and you see how much it sucks to be a teen mom and then you don't want to be a teen mom. But then, like, if you do pass the assignment, are you good to go? Are you good to be one now? Like, like when Mothers Against Drunk Driving comes to your school fair and they have those goggles you put on that makes you drunk and then you drive with them, but then if you do a good job driving, they give you a laminated card that says you're allowed to drive drunk now because you did it. Or like when the D.A.R.E. officer comes to your school and he's got all those little samples of drugs in a plastic case and then he lets you do some of the blow and you're you're so good at doing it. You're so good at doing it. You, do, you say all the stuff that people in cocaine are supposed to say to each other. Like, like, oh, your idea for a restaurant sounds incredible. I just, I think it's important to be honest with children about where restaurants come from. <laughs> I think you gotta sit them down on the edge of the bed and look right in their eyes and just say, when two men named Philip and Dana love themselves very, very much, they have a restaurant concept together. And that's where they come from. Oh. People these days, a lot of people these days, they want comedians to be like more than comedians. They want to be like, you know, preachers or motivational speakers. They want to, have to you know, ask the important questions in life. So I'll, I'll try. Can anybody name all the members of Limp Biscuit? Any of them? You guys, you guys know at least one, right? Yes. Right. It would be Fred. It would be Fred Durst. And then some people, I guess, some people also know about the spooky, ba uh, the, the spooky bass player. Yeah. I'm West not familiar with him. Wes something. Uh, did you know that wasn't a puppet? <laughs> that was a real dude. Just wearing contacts. But, yeah, Fred Durst is the only one anybody ever knew. And that would be really good to be Fred Durst in the 90s, because it's like, you know, you're getting the good restaurant tables, you're getting all the barred-out groupies. Um, you would want to be him, not the drummer, because it's like nobody knows who the drummer is. But then if you go fast-forward to today, You'd way rather be the drummer because you're getting those residual checks, but nobody knows you're in Limp Biscuit. <laughs> nobody but you. Not like Fred Durst, who has who has two hundred and ten million dollars. I looked that up. He's a rich man, but he can't enjoy it because uh, he's trapped inside the body of Fred Durst. <laughs> like even if you rent out the entire go kart pavilion, like there's still you know the two employees are still laughing because it's Fred Durst there. That's hilarious. He's, I'm, I'm just saying he lives in a prison made out of Fred Durst. <laughs> and so you can't even enjoy the riches. Now, wasn't it crazy how Linkin Park made all those songs about dudes having emotions, but they had to use super tough action verbs so they'd accept it? Like, dudes are always, and people in those songs, are like, they're crawling and falling and ripping and tearing. It's like, we get it. You're feeling stuff. You're feeling stuff. Okay. Uh, is it's I feel it's, it's pretty boring when white people talk about their heritage, right? When someone's trapped you in a conversation, they're telling you about how there's Scotch, German, Irish on their mom's side, and they're Dutch, Irish, Scotch on their dad's side, 
and so on and so forth. I don't know. I don't think people, Caucasians, should get to have heritage like that. There's, there's usually, I mean, Irish is definitely going to be in there. The Irish are super proud of being Irish all the time. So many parades. But then I guess, you know, there was how they used to be, like, slaves, and people considered them, like, less than human, like, not even white, like a subspecies of human. We should get back to that. We should bring... That was that was tight, in my opinion. Ugh. Knock him down a, a bit. Aww. Aww. I know, you were slaves. Um, man, so... People here listen to NPR, but I bet you've heard stuff about like the call of the abyss. Anybody ever heard of of that phrase before? It's the name for that feeling that you get when you're on like top of like like when you're on top of a building and you think about think about falling off. When you think about the worst possible thing that could happen, if you're driving and you think about jerking the wheel, not that you're gonna do it. You're not suicidal. You're just thinking about you know what would happen if I went down that route. I've I've been having a lot of conversational call of the abyss lately when I'm talking to folks. I just, it's, it's fucking with my enjoyment of life. Okay, the, 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 the real example, like the real life example of this was I was hanging out with my friends the other day and uh, there was a story on the news about some Scientologists in Turkey that were handing out pamphlets and uh, they were charged with this, with this old school crime over there called like inciting fear inciting fear on the street and since it was a story about Scientology of course they have a picture of Tom Cruise up there just like a random red pic- uh, red uh, red carpet picture of Tom Cruise doing that toothy Tom Cruise grin he does where he's like <laughs> like that one and I stood up and went over the TV and like pointed at his, his fucked up big front teeth and I was like hey guys more like incising fear am I right <laughs> which caused a mild titter it's not a good joke it caused a mild titter of laughter but I couldn't even enjoy that little tiny moment of pleasure bringing other people laughter because immediately I was thinking man you know it would make things really upsetting and awkward if you just said that again if you just said the punchline again more like incising fear am I right for a second time but then that would probably it'd probably work out because people would think you were just excited about your joke landing and were like saying it one more time they give you a little a little credit, but then, man, if you said it a third time, <laughs> you're like, hey, guys, more like incising fear, am I right? Ha, ha, ha. More like incising fear, am I right? More like incising fear, am I right? That third time, like, people are going to frown a little bit and furrow their brows, and they're probably not going to say anything. They might shoot each other a glance, but then what if you said it a fourth time? <laughs> What if you said it four times? Oh, fuck. Now this is like the worst part of everyone's day. They feel so uncomfortable. They're fucking hating it. They're hating it. Oh, geez. They're like looking around. Man, and then you get into like five, six, seven. People are looking at the table. They might try to physically leave the room. There's like more like incising fear. Right? More like incising fear. And then you go into like eight, nine, ten times. They have to look at you because what if you stab them? They don't want to get stabbed. Oh. And then it's like, how many times can you say the same thing in a row before they like call somebody? Before like they get a straight jacket for you and put it on you or like just get on the phone about it. 
I mean, I, not out here though. Fuck, not right here. You could say something five hundred thousand times, and you'd just be like, "Oh, that's more like incising fear marks." He just, he's like that. We love him. He's great. Uh, okay, so here's here's a, here's a thing that's hard to do in audiences of normal people that would be easier out here. Like stuff about traveling. It's hard to explain the lifestyle to people. It's hard to explain a lifestyle where it's like, I would spend a lot of time doing stuff in front of signs that were telling me exactly not to do that. Like the sign says no soliciting, but I'm hardcore soliciting all day, getting, getting that cash. Or a sign that says, you know, dogs must be leashed. And my dog's never on a leash. I would never. Come on, forget about it. Uh, and then, you know, eventually a security guard will come up to you and they'll like jerk their thumb back at the sign, you know, tell you you got to get out of here. Sometimes... Sometimes they would point to the sign and be like, hey, can't you read? And when I had that opportunity, I would always say, no. <laughs> and that would usually, they just give me a weird look, but then sometimes, oh my God, sometimes they would be like, why? <laughs> and then, then you got a real sandbox to play in. That's so good. You can say... You know, I'm always going to say something, I'm always going to say something real, like something that's going on in someone's real life, like, oh, I was actually, like, in a cult until I ran away at age 21, and they never taught us how to read, and we didn't really go much past the third grade or whatever, and can you help me get my documents, like a social security card, <laughs> or, like, ask them... You know, or like some frozen airplane waste. It fell out and it hit me on the head. And ever since then, I can't read. And, and the hope is that he like goes home to his family that night and he tells them of this fantastical tale of this of this person that he met and their story. And then they all think about people whose lives are different from theirs and might not have the same opportunities. And they, they, you know, have a better understanding, more empathy. Or there's also the possibility that he says to me, hey, my sister's the only person who's been hit by frozen airplane poop in this hemisphere since 1974. And then now I learned something. I'm the one that learned the lesson. And I'd like that too. Man, being out, being out there sometimes, you know, you, you're, you're out there for years and stuff. And sometimes the compass gets a little spun. You you start wondering if you're doing the right thing. I would. I mean, I was having a great time out there, but just driving all over America, I'd wonder myself, is it right to be doing this? Should I be out here doing all these drugs, having depraved sex with strangers? Um, is it the best use of my talents and time, limited though they may be? And when I was having one of these moments of, you know, sort of like existential crisis um i'm so glad that i got behind an edible arrangements truck <laughs> because once i saw that truck and that papaya response uh <clears throat> i knew that like i just remembered edible arrangement uh ed edible arrangements and what it is <laughs> that there's like a whole building where where people have to show up to so they can cut up pineapples and put wooden dowels in them and that they're using fossil fuels to like haul it all over America to like I guess people that work at the bank I don't know <laughs> who orders edible arrangements but like it's an entire company that people work for and you, you know kind of harming the environment with their activities and it's, I'm fine you know if that's going on I'm good I'm good to go I'm not I'm not the person that stuck a wooden dowel in a cookie and uh, took that to the bank to get a loan about it. Everything I do is fine. So, you guys, speaking of not being able to read, you guys, 
you've, you've, you've probably heard of dyslexia before, right? Yes. So they, they told me when I was little I had an opposite condition called hyperlexia. And I don't know how true that is, but I could definitely read before I could talk or before I was, you know, like three. And, and uh, can still read pretty fast. And uh, growing up, you'd, you'd think that would be a, you know, a boon that would get you ahead in life, but also it didn't really come with like a expanded, you know, maturity or consciousness or intellectual ability. I could just read the words really fast. My parents wouldn't take me to the library. They would just take me to like the grocery store where they would buy me every Stephen King book uh, in print. And man... When I was six, I read Cujo because it had a doggy on the cover. <laughs> and you guys, in the book Cujo, a guy breaks into his girlfriend's apartment, smashes every single thing that she owns, ejaculates on her bedspread, and then leaves. And at the time, that was distressing to me because, you know, I mean, first of all, I didn't want all my unicorn figurines smashed, but also the semen part. That was that was hard for me to deal with because like I knew Salem's Lot wasn't real and that like uh, you know Pet Cemetery was a made up story but I I was already pretty aware that semen was hella real like as a concept and around me all the time and and I just I just didn't know is that is that how adults treated each other is this what dating was gonna be like is this what I have to get ready for. <laughs> But it didn't even matter because, like, now, if I came home now and found a puddle of semen on my bedspread, y'all, I'm not even washing that for, like, four days. <laughs> I'm just kicking it to the bottom of the bed. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Uh, so, man, child actors. Why are, why, are we still, why are we still having them? Like, I'm not the best parent, but I know more than to ever let that happen to my kid. What a bizarre-ass life. It's the only profession, too, that we allow kids to do if they want to. It's not like anyone's like, oh, our son, Mar you know, Mur Murphy, just loves oil fracking. So so we did quit our jobs and moved to North Dakota just to, just to give him a push, see if it works out for him. As long as he's enjoying it, though. No, even if you're like, even if your first grader is a math whiz, no one's like, oh, you should pull him out of elementary school and make him a CPA. That, that'd be good for him. And honestly, oil fracking would probably be safer for kids as a profession because, like, Acting's the only profession that requires you on a daily basis to put your kids in the car and drive them on purpose to a building that's full of like, you know, pedophiles and sycophants and like people that whiten their dog's teeth and just the absolute scum of the earth. People that, that are probably going to fuck up your kids mentally and probably just plain fuck them. And I've heard that's bad for their development. It's not good for them. Man, I can't even enjoy watching a movie that has a bunch of kids in it, like Stranger Things or something. I feel like I'm watching a snuff film of their childhood. I feel like I'm watching a movie, uh, you know, where the dog dies, but from back before it was illegal to kill animals on screen. Which was 1939. You guys know that before 1939, those horses are not okay. They didn't make it. It wasn't, it wasn't good for them. Man. And then sometimes people will try to tell me, oh, some of the child actors turn out all right. What about Jodie Foster? Jodie Foster's okay. But you guys know, Jodie Foster's like best friends with Mel Gibson. So is she okay? Is she okay? Uh, 
I got more, but I think I think I'm just gonna stop now. Why? No more. Why? Okay. Um, <laughs> what did I have? What I have written on the sheet of paper? Uh, Poker stories is one of. Testosterone. Testosterone starts off with talking about NPR and like I'm, I'm not sure that might be like a little specialized. I don't know. It's just I. It's a little cute for me lately. You guys listen to NPR often? Sometimes. I don't know. Like Steve Inskeep pretending not to know how to pronounce like rap, you know, words and rap lyrics on the bumper stuff, and like, <laughs> oh man, Radiolab, fucking Radiolab. It's like if you're telling a story that takes place in England, you don't have to play Hail Britannia for me to like hold that idea in my head. It's fucking babyish. Um, but anyway, so I was listening to it one day because there's nothing else in the car. They were doing a story about testosterone, like people that had too much of it or too little of it, people that had like transitioned their gender or whatever and what that was like. And um, they were going down a list of like, uh, of like fact uh, attributes of people that had like a lot of testosterone in their body. And I was hearing it, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe identify with some of that. It was stuff like square palms and like a deep voice. And a, one of them literally, this is literally one of them, a wolfish grin. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, another one of them was if you were in high school, voted most likely to Sarah Connor, which I was. <laughs> no, that wasn't really one. That wasn't really one. Uh, but the last one uh, they told you about, which is completely real, was that levels of testosterone rise when you are uh, both working out, like in the middle of a really hard workout, or watching violence, even recorded violence, like people fighting. And when I heard that, I knew it was time to take my workouts to the next level by watching <laughs> videos of people beating the shit out of each other first. Yeah. And you guys, it is it works so well. Oh my god. Yeah. I would... Ut- Go to, go to any kind of fight porn site. It, you know, when you're like watching a video of a fight at 2 a.m. and you get embarrassingly hype about it, like you're yeah, like UFC. Yeah, sure, that too. But I mean, no, I want them to like mean it. I want someone to have snatched somebody something and then now like an unholy fury is coming down. I watched them all. High school fight videos. Like I didn't get into the Appalachian preschool MMA backyard scene, but that exists. That exists and it's out there. And uh, I'm so grateful. But then it got me in trouble because back when I was living in my car, I would work out sometimes by sneaking into the fitness room of like a Ramada Inn or something. Uh, You would just like fish a Starbucks cup out of the garbage, have sweatpants on and a messy bun. And then now, you know, bust out a workout real quick before I go fly a sign. And I'm I'm in the Ramada one time waiting for somebody with a card to come swipe it through so he can get into the little tiny room with the foggy mirrors and the like one Nordic track. And I'm listening to, I'm, I'm watching the fights on my cell phone with headphones. And then eventually this like elderly dude in basketball shorts uh, comes to use the gym, which is great for me. He stands up, he swipes the card, and as he goes in, I duck in behind him really quick. And as I do, the door slams shut and catches my headphones and pulls them out of the phone. And then now all of a sudden we're like in this tiny room together, and there's just the sounds of like, get him, Jeremy, get him, Jeremy, fuck him up, fuck him up. And he was like looking at me, kind of confused. I was just like. This is what music sounds like now. This is what the kids listen to. Um, okay. 
<laughs> I don't want to talk about the Myers-Briggs personality index. I don't want to talk about pedophiles. <laughs> um, I invented some new dog breeds, I guess. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it just sucks that we have all these dogs that, that are trained to do hyper-specialized tasks. We took all their dogs away. I mean, we took all their uh, jobs away in the span of, like, 50 years. I just don't think it's fair. They're, like, quivering with excitement to do the thing they were trained to do. And we don't let them do it. we got to start over. we got to start from scratch. Dogs for modern people to solve modern problems. You know, like a, a dog, like a retriever. But they only retrieve cash and jewels. <laughs> and also they can break into people's houses. That's a dog that I could use. Um, you know, dogs that are good for selfies, really glossy, stand in front of you, reflect the light. Um, dogs that, like, secrete antibiotics from their eyes, but every day they change a little bit to keep up with today's fast-paced MRSA outbreaks. <laughs> You know, like a, a dog that, if people call themselves their dog's mom, maybe you hit 40 and the dog's face will change to look like your face. <laughs> so then you don't feel so bad about not completing the biological imperative. I don't know. Sometimes when I'm in public with my dog, she'll be asleep and she'll be twitching like dogs do when they dream and, you know, making little noises and shit. And people are always like, oh, she must be chasing rabbits. Or, you know, stuff that dogs do during the day. But sometimes the dog tries to hump me, so it's like, you gotta figure some of those dreams. <laughs> some of those dreams, you're not stopping them. Like, you're into it. Hmm. Of all the things that COVID took away from us, in Burlington, Vermont, near where I live. The one thing I can't believe it didn't take away was the axe throwing bar. <laughs> Somehow, there's still a bar, it survived the pandemic, where you can go throw axes at the wall and it makes me so goddamn mad. Oh man, I know I shouldn't get that worked up over it. It's just, oh. <clears throat> because they're not chopping wood in there. It's not surrounded by, you're supposed to chop like, you know, 10,000 cords of wood first. They're they're trafficking and working class signifiers. I don't love that. Uh, Plus the fact that you just know that if it came down to the cut, they're not it, they're not even helping people do it. They're not even going to be able to do it. Like I'm out here in the middle of nowhere chopping wood for the apocalypse. They're in there twirling them around like majorettes. Uh, and if in fact the apocalypse did happen and there was like you know a horde of people from Brooklyn cresting the hill coming to take over my house in Vermont and you needed somebody, you needed one of these Burlingtonians to sink the tip of that axe into the forehead of one of these fucks, they're, they're going to be like oh, it's not a regulation axe it needs to be tuned uh, so I guess I might as well sure, I'll, I'll do the, the hooker story last because I got to get back to those, to the kids they'll probably need me but uh <clears throat> <laughs> Go all, way out there. Go. So, uh, before, uh, yeah, before this life, I used to have like a whole, a whole different one where I had like long hair and uh, long nails and high heels. And oh, for the purposes of this story, I guess it is important, not just a, a brag, to say like 
I used to be super hot before I lost like most of my teeth, which causes your face to sink in. I was I was pretty attractive. Like people used to say Angelina Jolie, but that's not true. That's that was way too hot. But absolutely Jessica Alba hot. That's an objective fact. I was absolutely as hot as like Jessica Alba. So anyway, um, I also I'm tired of standing up now. So, I had parlayed this into like a fairly, I went from Craigslist hooker to like tech bro hooker, which was, you know, fairly, a fairly lucrative enterprise. And, um, Craigslist to what? Huh? Craigslist to what? Like, uh, you know, like a, I, uh, I would say mostly tech bros is, is who I was working for. And so for the setting of this story is I was in the car with one of these dudes one day and he was going off about my mom's declawed cat. I mean, you know, like, I've been seeing the dude a little bit, and he just hated that my mom's cat uh, had been declawed. I don't, I don't, I know we're not supposed to like it. I don't have that much of a problem with it. I mean, it was still could climb trees. The cat seemed happy enough. Uh, otherwise, it was going to go to an animal shelter in Memphis, Tennessee, which would have been death. So it's like declawing or death, which everyone you think is better but he was he was all up in arms about it. he's like oh man don't you know it's just like cutting your knuckle off your, your finger off at the first knuckle that's that's their fingers in there and i was like well honestly i think cats would be able to make that decision i think if you offered a cat free room board medical care and food for the rest of their natural life they'd probably lose the first knuckle voluntarily i know i would if somebody was offering me <clears throat> free room, you know, <laughs> food, medical care for the rest of my life. You can have the first, you know, little bone pieces. And he said, do you want to put your money where your mouth is? And I said, what? <laughs> and he said that there was places on the internet, not the World Wide Web, but the internet, where he could put an ad like that and maybe somebody would take me up on it and, uh, you know, decide to provide those things in exchange for, you know, safely uh, in a medical setting, cutting the tips of my finger off. And I didn't have to think long about it before I said yes, because come on, <laughs> the first knuckles in your finger, what the fuck, you can still dial a phone, pull a grenade, masturbate, Vulcan salute, what else is there? <laughs> those four things? Come on, you're good, that's good, that's all you need to do. And so he put the ad on the internet, and uh, surprisingly quickly it got answered. If you had to guess a part of the world from which someone who would take me up on that offer would originate, what do you think? New Jersey. Oh, <laughs> uh, China. No, not nobody there Tell can afford. Tell me the answer, so I don't sound ignorant. Cultures. <laughs> what you would now call the UAE? They're definitely they definitely grow some weird ones. United Arab Emirates. Yeah, in that in that part of the world. Um, Did they want your knuckles? <clears throat> Yeah, they actually wanted a whole lifestyle thing. Like that was getting that was getting worked out. You know, am I going to like live at the house? Do I wear a collar? It was finally decided it was going to be just like you know, I had my own oh, separate oh, you domicile. Oh, to you like a cat. Yeah, no, that yeah, that's. that's yeah, I don't declaw cats. <laughs> that's not apparently a lot of people don't. I mean, my mom did. I don't judge other people. This is a, a comedy. Uh, Anywho, no, it's a conversation too. It's a co right because I'm sitting down. Fuck. <laughs> That's why they make them stand up. Now I get it, or else you're just talking, or you're just talking. Oh, gosh, tradition, tradition. Don't fuck with it. Well, United Arab.